Hello there. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode two of the Mike the Gardener podcast. Um, Firstly, thank you all for your lovely comments and feedback following the Christmas podcast. That was lovely. So nice to read those. We have our regular catch up with Otis, Otis the Gardener, and I'm chatting to him today about what he does the first time he goes to a new client's garden, what he's looking out for. But first, I have a lovely chat with Almanac author, nature writer, Leah Lenders. New year, new hope and new beginnings. Um, and for you as a podcaster, your new podcast, As the Season Turns, sponsored by Fern, it's the perfect accompaniment to the Almanac. So tell me about your podcast. What is it and who is it for? Well, yes, I'm making it with Fern and they are um, a wonderful perfume maker uh, based in Somerset. And they make um, these beautiful perfumes that are um, released uh, at the equinoxes and solstices. So they kind of got in contact with me thinking that our, because the almanac is obviously all about, you know, uh, the solstices and the equinoxes are quite a big deal in, in mm. almanac world and, and that, you know, our, our kind of um, interests uh, combined quite nicely. So they put this idea together of us making a podcast together. So the idea of it really is quite little, as podcasts go, because I know that you know, a lot of them are, are good and lengthy. So it's only like under 20 minutes long. And it's really meant to be just a little kind of snapshot of the um, of the month ahead. So talking about lots of the sorts of things that I talk about in the Almanac. So what the meaning of the name of the month is and what's happening in the with nature. And, and there'll be a bit of gardening, I'm sure, as we go on. And... <laughs> Uh, what's happening in the sky at night by what meteor showers you can be able to see next week or uh, or whenever so it's really very almanacky and very much just a kind of way of setting people up for the month ahead what I'm quite interested in is what's particular about each month and I think at the moment that feels almost particularly important because the months are so sort of blending into each other and nothing's Very really happening so. and and so it's quite nice if you can have somebody to say to you look actually it, maybe it doesn't particularly feel like it but February is different to January and this is why and these are the celebrations and this is the things that we've done over millennia um to celebrate things going on in February so yes it's a kind of yes a little um mini microcosm of bits of almanacky stuff but I have to say as a new podcaster myself I've listened to your podcast on a number of occasions already it's very calming very soothing very informative and very engaging and the one thing that struck me is I think you've given mother nature a voice if mother nature was to have a voice it would be yours it's just (laughs) and before before we actually started this I wanted to actually take up the garden meditation for January Mm. and we're quite blessed down here today in Bournemouth it's quite a lovely day so and I'm in the garden all of the time but I made a point of kicking my shoes off and Did stepping you? onto the Very soil <laughs> but it's just such a, a lovely thing to do to actually stand in your own garden barefoot and see exactly what's going on look at the sky listen to the birds singing uh, and I'm sure that's something that this is your fourth almanac isn't it yes yeah so the garden meditations is a, a tiny bit of a 
departure really for the almanac and it's um the first thing that I've done that is a little bit more I suppose a little bit more spiritual in a way I've kind of tended to keep it quite factual and quite you know to the point obviously there's folklore and stuff like that but it's very Mm. you know that was the first and it was really again sort of what I was saying before about opportunities to appreciate the moment and to mark the moment out as different and the thing about the taking off your shoes and I'm very impressed that you did is um, totally not necessary and I know that a lot of people will not want to do that and also I've said you know when I've been writing the and reading out the, the garden meditations idea that you know you don't have to stand you can sit you know I know that people come at the almanacs with all sorts of their own abilities and I don't want to ever make anything excluding to people because of of their level of ability Mm. Um, so you know you could just get a chair and sit in the garden but really the idea is to make yourself kind of sit and notice um, and and I suppose starting at January start is kind of almost just creating a baseline isn't it you know let's go out in January and let's just sit here and let's look and really think about what's going on and what's not going on and that's just as important and I think what's amazing and what I've loved about the whole almanac experience of writing it is realizing how extremely different the months are from each other and how different it will be when you go out and stand there next month you know in February and then particularly in March my goodness you know then it really all starts happening and it's also I mean we're talking about 30 days and then another 30 days and these huge leaps that we kind of take um, over that time. But yeah, the thing about the taking off your shoes and socks and standing on what I'm hoping that people will get. I mean, I did, <laughs> the, other, <laughs> the other, I wasn't, gonna, you know, I was looking at it, we had that really cold spell, didn't we, um, a week or so ago. And, yes. Um, you know, I was not particularly thinking of getting out there with my shoes at all. And then suddenly on Instagram, goodness, other people are doing this. I kind of got to join in haven't I well so I saw do, the I saw the posts on Instagram with all these people stood on the frozen, yeah, soil, the frozen grass I was like wow that is dedication I and, know, I and I was say, yeah I chickened out and waited like <laughs> today down here well I was really surprised when I thought well if they're doing it and I've told them to I've got to get out there and do it too so I went out and I stood on the actual frosted grass I did not last five minutes at all I don't think I even lasted one minute and obviously you know you mustn't stand out there until it's painful you know something that oh my goodness am I going to get all these people with frostbite I did it and what I one of the things I like about it is it was you've got that lovely thing that you get from if you go and swim in the sea you've got that sort of tingle for the rest of the day that kind of warms you so you know my feet were cold but then for the rest of the day they were warm and lovely and I was really able to appreciate the furriness of my slippers and well that's exactly where um, I am now because I came in literally before we started and I can feel my feet have got that lovely glow about them and and like you I kicked my slippers on um, to do this now Uh, so it's something that I've never done before (laughs) but I think what's very important for me as a gardener is this time of year I'm lucky enough we have snowdrops in the garden here at the moment but it's so fleeting and just before you know it they've gone and just yeah, to actually yeah. appreciate the moment. And this is where I think your almanac is yeah. so good. It just reminds you, look out, really observe what's happening. So for me, it's, <laughs> been, a, it's been a joy. With the feet thing, what will be lovely is that as the soil does warm up, you know, if you do go out and stand on the soil, you'll actually feel the difference in the months. So, you know, you will, when you're standing there in June and you're standing in exactly the same spot that you stood in January, 
you will know that that's because the sun has, you know, the, the earth has tipped towards the sun and so the sun has been able to fall on the earth more. And you will actually feel that with your body mm. rather than just, you know, knowing it with your mind. And I think that's rather a lovely thing. So I'm going to try and make myself do it every month like everybody <laughs> else seems to do. I think you're going to have a <laughs> monthly procession of people with their feet in their borders at different Deep times so, of the year. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of feet on my Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> so how did the idea of the almanac come along in the first place? what was your inspiration um it was I, I'm always slightly uh, uh there's a few different ways I think it sort of came at me in a couple of different ways so I've written about gardening and about food at that point I started writing about food and um, recipes uh for a while and one of the types of books that I really loved are the kind of uh, uh fork to like uh, plot to plate sort of books like yeah. Monty Don's fork to fork Mm. like that there's kind of around the year um you know what to grow what to eat so I think I was looking for an idea or, or looking for a hook for a, a book like that to try and pitch a book like that and I had come up with the thought of doing something based about on months and the title I'd come because I was just trying to think of words came up with the word month and I thought okay, well, that's what I want to do is about what's special, what's particular in the garden and everything about the month. So month. And then I was like, month. I don't know. It just doesn't <laughs> kind of quite have a great ring to it. Months, it's, you know. I think, and I might be remembering wrong, but I think that I actually got the thesaurus or something, you know, like what's another word for yes. month? And yeah. I think within that came across this word almanac. Ooh, yeah, that's a nice word. It was, yeah. it was literally like, that's a nice word at first. And I thought... Well, I can um, steal this word. I don't have to make a real almanac. I can kind of steal this word and say this is an almanac and blah, blah, blah. But then kind of started looking at almanacs and um, kind of uh, started to, well, there, there are obviously, there are lots of almanacs um, mm. that exist and um, they, it's a really, really old form of publishing. And what, you have because of that is um a I, I think a bit of a hangover from old ones so there's like old moore's almanac is the british one and it's been going for literally hundreds of years and because of that it's got quite a few things like you know as publishing used to be that you would uh, have to put adverts in you know you'd have a pamphlet and you'd have adverts in it and stuff like that and because of the time that it was made it would have lots of predictions in, and all that stuff is slightly hung on so there's yeah. lots of like predictions about um you know, I mean literally sort of you know what's Michael McIntyre's year ahead going to be and, um, <laughs> all that. and I just sort of thought we, I think there's so much interesting stuff that could be in this that this is not making space for and also the the quality of it because of the way it's come to you know it was a thing that would be sold in pubs and stuff like that well maybe there's a space for making you know a, a really beautiful version of an almanac so it came from that but also I was in uh, Cornwall around this time and we were staying in a place that had a view of the sea mm -hmm. and I could see um, the tides going out and coming in and I could see the sun setting and had this real sense of like oh I want to take this big kind of cosmic stuff home with me and I always love I always end up collecting like tide timetables and things like that and bringing them home and I love the kind of poetry of those lists of yes of things and I think a lot of people quite like those tables 
And so it was that kind of thought really about, you know, how can I put all of this in? And so all of those things kind of came together at once. Too. Well, I was going to ask you, where do you source the information from? And things mm-hmm. like the moon phases, the tides, the sunsets, do those times and does the, the data change much year on year or is it fairly static? Uh, no, it does. Well, it, it varies. The suns and you know, sunrises and sunsets will change you know, fairly minimally. I mean, you know, what's happening on the um, 18th of March in 2021 will be fairly similar to the sunrise and sunsets on the 18th of March, but the moon phases are completely different, you know, all the time, you know, because the moon is, is keeping its own uh, calendar. Yeah. Um, so all that is different. And um, I couldn't possibly tell you my sources. <laughs> you'd be able to make one too. And that was, that was the, the real shocker when I, um, the first year that I um, made it. So I crowdfunded it. So I spent three months crowdfunding it. And then the publisher I was doing it with, which is Unbound, who do this sort of half and half crowdfunding and, and publisher, the right, you know, you've got three months to write it. And I sort of went, oh, oh I don't know how to do this. <laughs> like, so that first year was really a scramble to try and find sources. And um, yeah, yeah, I kind of got away with it by the skin of my teeth, to be honest. But now that I've had time to settle in and to really kind of get, so now I have my sources. I know who to go to each year. I know what licenses to apply for and, you know. Yeah of that but yeah I kind of I was very much winging it that first year. <laughs> so with that first one when you obviously had to pitch the idea you then had to go you, did you pitch the whole idea or did you edit the, the idea so that you could oh I could leave that bit out because I'm running out of time to collect that information? Um, no I think I just pitched the I mean I was pitching almost to the readers more than to because it was with Unbound, you know, you essentially pre-sell the book so people buy to the book in it. advance yeah. to make enough money. So, I mean, I've always kind of felt that I had the freedom to do sort of what I wanted with it, but I did really want it to have that proper solid feel of an old rural almanac. You know, it had to have, mm. I think, the tables. Otherwise, it would have just been a... Um, uh, you know, a, a book about cooking and, and gardening, which is lovely, but you know, that, that was not what I had said it would be. Um, so I think it really ha- always had to have that core of solid information that you can get nerdy about and really pick out, you know, I want to mm. know on this day what's happening with, you know, exactly where the moon is going to be, when it's going to be rising, blah, blah, blah. Um, so, no, I did manage to get that in right at the start I think just about (laughs) this year's almanac has a theme of movement migration and pilgrimage how did that come about um yeah um it came about I think partly because a couple of years ago I wrote I always try have tried to write about um the names of the months in particular so find different kind of angles so I've talked about the uh, moon names for each month and about um, the names of the month in all of the languages of the British Isles so Manx and Cornish and so when I did that year that I wrote about the languages of the British Isles I was really strongly aware that I hadn't included any of the um, traveller languages so no Romany no um, uh, shelter uh, and all of those and partly that was because it was they're really quite hard to 
find they don't don't tend um, to be the the names of the month don't tend to be used that much anymore. So I was really mm. struggling to find it. So I had kind of set myself that as a future challenge that I needed to at some point kind of rectify that. And then everything slightly kind of fell into place from there. Really, it was very easy to then think, okay, well if I'm making that about um, travellers, then perhaps you know what. Obviously, there's always going to be a nature element to it. So what's the nature? Well, it's migration. And mm. what's the kind of folklore element? Well, it's pilgrimage. And, and so it all kind of fitted um, together, kind of, I'm pretty sure it came from those, you know, finding these Romany names of the month, which I did manage eventually to track down. Uh, <laughs> but that was kind of tricky because, like I say, they're not... Um, I think the Romani language, uh, as I now understand it, having done the research, is a fairly kind of immediate language. Um, mm. There is words for sort of today and tomorrow, uh, but because uh, it's a mixture of English and, and Romani, you know, the, of old words, um, those the words for the months would tend to now be if you if you needed to use a word for months, you would use the English word. Yes. So the actual Romani names have kind of slightly died out but I did find um, this guy Robert Dawson who had investigated the old Welsh Romany names of Welsh Romany language just seems to have hung on a little bit longer than elsewhere but it's quite likely that those names were once used by Romanies across um, the country so um, they uh, so it was really good to be able to find those and then he was able to give me these kind of insights into what those names uh, would have meant and of course they're all wonderfully seasonal because yeah, you know, yeah. if you're living outdoors what you're going to say about January is well it's, it's snowing you know <laughs> this is the month of the snows and and then they were also because the Romeos were um, very tied into these kind of seasonal work so would move around between farmers would have a, a route really every year most families would have a route that they'd move through the big jobs of the haymaking uh, would be so that would be the month of the hay and then the right. blah, 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 blah blah and then the potato the month the potatoes you know was the, mm. but, so they were acting as a kind of seasonal workforce but going round and round in their circuit each year so it really tied in beautifully with all the stuff that I'm interested in and keen on so it was so really you nice. said just a moment ago the first one you had this three-month window in which to pull this together how long does it take you now and when do you start writing? Is it is it like the fourth grade, you get one published and you start the next one? <laughs> I'm trying <laughs> to be more like that. Of course, I always leave it slightly up again, up to the wire. Um, so with this, I have generally written them in about three months each time. They have to be in, the next year's has to be in by beginning of April. Mm-hmm. So I'm currently working on 2022, just as we're all getting going on. Goodness. One. Uh, but I actually did manage to uh, be very good and start it pre-Christmas this year. So I've arrived in, in the new year with, um, at the very least, a good solid plan of what I'm doing, whereas before I've done everything in that three months, which is too <laughs> tight, really. Uh, but I also have helpers, you know, I have people that help me. So um, I have Richard Barnard, who works on all the songs for me. Um, and you know, there's various other people that, that chip in uh, bits and bobs. My dad does the um, Sky at Night stuff, so he's okay. done all that. Um, does that? So there is a small, small team that, that works on various aspects of it. So it's not entirely me. And and like I say, now that I know 
what my sources are for um, all the tables, <laughs> that's actually relatively easy now to, yeah. to get yeah. all that stuff in and down, whereas that took quite a bit of time at first. <laughs> and of course, it has the endorsement of Sir Bob Geldof, who says it's yes. indispensable. Yes, indeed. What a wonderful accolade. <laughs> yes, that's very <laughs> just about it. I've had some really lovely, uh, yeah, support and, and you know, I mean, the kind of the first couple of years, there were, it, it really sort of got lots of lovely comments from lots of people and a few famous people chipping in as well which really doesn't hurt you know, not at all. Somebody <laughs> saying like something like that and be able to put it on the front of your book so um that was really really nice I'm still waiting for Sir Bob to actually endorse my podcast but I've only done <laughs> one so <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to run before I can walk Leo I wonder if I might take you back to the beginning of your writing career uh, mm -hmm. did you always know you wanted to be a writer um no I wanted to be um well I'd, I'd always enjoyed writing and English the subject that I could do the best I suppose in school <laughs> and then I was a bit lost after school I didn't really um I didn't uh, go on to university or anything and I just sort of um was a bit lost for a couple of years and then started gardening and um had a little garden and I think a friend of my mum's came around and I was showing her my garden my mum was tearing her hair out about me <laughs> at that point and um and I was saying you know oh, look I planted these bedding plants I mean it was you know very sort of basic tiny little rented <laughs> garden that I had and um she this friend of my mum said you could study horticulture <laughs> like trying to shove me towards <laughs> do, do something. something with your life you know <laughs> um and I sort of went oh that's a nice idea so I did I went to Norton Redstock College in Somerset then I got a place at Edinburgh uh, Botanic Gardens to do with their HMD up there and okay. so I went up to Edinburgh and I studied up there and that was wonderful it was really really lovely because I don't know if you've ever been to Edinburgh Botanic Gardens but amazing place and to be there every day and, and Edinburgh itself is just a fabulous city and so I had a lot of fun and a really interesting you know just one of those times in life where you're just surrounded by the experts and feeling like you're in the place and it was yeah. just, you know, such a lovely experience. And how long were you there? So I was only there because it's the HN, it was only an HND then. Since then they, they do it as a degree, which means that you're there for like four Longer. years. It's a Scottish four years, so that would have been wonderful. <laughs> I was only there for a year and then over to the West Coast for the second year of the HND to um, Ocken Crew, which is the agricultural college there. It was um, not like being in the centre of everything. <laughs> I was kind of the opposite <laughs> of that, but it was still, you know, it had its, it had its lovelinesses. Um, and um, then, um, including that's where I met my husband. Um, so, so he's then, a gardener as well. He is, yeah, yeah, he is. Um, so then, um, from there, I um, and while I was in Edinburgh, I'd done a bit of voluntary work on the plantsman. The plantsman used to be based in. Um, uh, in Edinburgh Botanic Garden and mm -hmm. so I did a tiny bit of voluntary work there and I think that gave me a little in for then the um, job came up at at the Garden magazine yes. and it's they still run this the trainee journalist um, and they, they have a trainee journalist for a year um, and so I applied for that and I got that um, which was wonderful and um you know I, know, I know that a huge number of people sort of 
drift into um, writing about gardening. And I feel like I, one of the very few people that went this very formal kind of route, <laughs> the most formal you can possibly go in life. I went this way and it was this, this amazing year of um, working on a magazine, suddenly out of the blue, and also you know, going and visiting all the RHS gardens and also going down to London and doing my journalism training. And I was just, just fabulous. You know, so do you remember that. your first published article? I do. It was about cosletus. Yes, okay. <laughs> I still and, have and it. Was, you still have it. And was that, <laughs> where was that published? In the garden. In the garden. Yeah. So all through that year, I was then writing for the magazine. So you just said then that you went and did your journalistic training. What does that Mm -hmm. actually involve? What what does that get you to do? Um, Yes. What did we do? We sort of did things. We had um, uh, classes about, you know, feature writing. So general kind of feature writing classes. I remember one in particular that was about news writing. Um, with this very sort of hard bitten Fleet Street journalist woman taking <laughs> these <laughs> and I remember somebody saying um, she was always, I, I, I mean it was back when you could smoke and you, know, you know so I think she was having a fag and somebody said oh do you want a glass of water she went I don't drink water <laughs> it was all very you know, pub lunches and and all of that sort of thing um, and yeah I'm teaching us about headline writing and um, sub-editing. I mean, everything. We really did everything. It was wonderful. Yeah, very good. Is that sort of training still available today for, for aspiring journalists or writers out there? Absolutely. Is- I, I believe so. I mean, you can do a journalism degree, can't you? So I guess what I was doing was a sort of mini version of that, um, but alongside working, a kind of work experience version of that. Uh, at the time, it was EMAP who were publishing um, The Garden, and I think they had this running for quite a few of their publications would send people down on these kind of day release courses. But it was, um, yeah, fantastic. But you know, I'm sure that there is still, you know, people don't smoke in there. but apart from that I'm sure it's still great so for aspiring writers who had their training and are ready to actually go out and get work what advice would you give to them for pitching for work oh um for pitching for work yeah I think well I suppose the main thing is to know the magazine or the the publication that you're going for yeah um you know I think it's very tiring for editors to just keep coming across pitches that are from people, just lazy pitches that from people who obviously don't know the publication. And I think everybody gets quite vain, I suppose, about their own thing and they want to believe that their thing is the centre of the universe. And if you can make them <laughs> believe that, that's <laughs> going to help, isn't it? You know, rather than just sending off the same thing. So I think that's one of the main things. Do you pitch for your work still or do people come to you now and say, Leah, we'd like you to do a piece for for us? I generally don't do a huge amount of pitching now just because I'm so busy with the almanac and and other bits of sort of book writing and stuff. Mm. So no, but I still do do things for um, Gardens Illustrated and I write a column for the Garden magazine. Yes. Um, and a, a couple of things like that. So it's quite nice when you get a column and you don't have to pitch because pitching is a lot of work, I think. <laughs> you know, quite exhausting. And the Telegraph, do bits of the Telegraph, but do pitch me Telegraph sometimes, and uh, they're great. So you're a bit of a foodie as well, aren't you? 
Yeah, yeah. And is, you obviously write about food, but are you a, you're a cook as well? Yeah, yeah. Do love cooking and, and enjoy cooking and trying out things that I'm going to put into the into the almanac and, and things like that. The food um, in the almanac tends to be um, sort of celebration, well, kind of combination really of um, sort of celebration or celebratory dishes or things that are, you know, very seasonal because of celebrations or, mm. you know, actual seasonal food. So I suppose I kind of came to that via having the allotment, which I don't have anymore, but I did have an allotment. So I would have quite a lot of food, you know, at the moment that it was um, in season. So starting to, you know, try and find ways of, of using that and using up gluts and, and stuff like that. So I started writing in the Simple Things magazine and doing lots of things for them that were particularly um, about seasons and, and, and the stuff that I was growing on the allotment and, and how to use it up. So, yeah. so interesting you don't have the allotment now is that because of time for work and writing yeah very much um we just were coming to realize that we were essentially we had the allotment and we had the garden and kind of both of them were sort of not really <laughs> being much. done because we were slightly firefighting really between them both and we loved the allotment so much and the kids were kind of brought up there really we spent so much time there so it was quite heartbreaking in a way to give it up but it was just this kind of realization of like well we can do two things badly or we can do well, one thing badly which is really how it's kind of worked out but, you know, so we chose one um and um so what we've done is um we had a huge old shed that had an asbestos roof and, and hideous at the end of the garden and then it was all grown over with brambles and it was taking up quite a lot of space and we thought we might be able to fit a little bit of a you know some veg raised beds down mm. here if we don't have the allotment anymore so we had that taken away and actually it's ended up quite a huge well it's not huge but once you've cleared all that stuff and you've start and put it into a sensible shape it's actually you know there's three three four raised beds and we've got the greenhouse down there and a little herb bed and a space for um to sit and so actually this kind of lost area at the end of the garden has become you know as much as we need and we probably realistically probably get as much produce from it as we did from the allotment because we were always sort of something would go on go wrong and then we wouldn't get up to the allotment for a couple of weeks and then something's mm. gone over and we're just, at the end of the garden you don't miss it so we don't want to put down allotments because obviously they're wonderful and I do miss it of course very sad not to have it but um it is easier <laughs> so you told us about a little bit at the end of your garden what's the rest of your garden like how would you describe your garden well, it's town gardens. It's not huge. Uh, south facing is the reason that we bought the house is because it had this longish garden. I think it's about 80 foot long. So we have um, just outside the kitchen door, we've got a well veranda, I call it the veranda. So it's a deck, a raised deck, and it's got a roof over it. And I wanted that right from the start. It's kind of almost like a Southern American style porch, you know, that yeah. you can sit out on and that's been really lovely just for um it means that you can go outside when it's raining and it's that's particularly lovely in the summer actually and when the kids were little it meant that you know when it was raining they could be out in the sand pit and, mm. and, and having fun out there whereas um, rather than having to be stuck indoors and then go down a few oh we've got bunnies up there as well so they take up a big chunk of the space <laughs> they've got a big cage thing up there 
and then um, uh, down onto a little circular lawn with border around that's got um, some, my husband quite likes uh, sort of big subtropical plants. We've got some Paulonias and some um, Euphorbia, uh, Honey Spurge. Yeah. banana hardy banana just there and then as you get a bit further down there's roses that's me when i come in <laughs> my roses in <laughs> and a few perennials nice perennials and stuff we've got various i mean it's quite packed for a small garden probably a bit too packed but there's also a, a pear tree a, a pleach pear tree and uh, there's a dwarf quince um so yeah it's all kind of crammed in there there's a trampoline <laughs> i mean it, yeah a garden designer would tear the hair out but it's just it's your garden so (laughs) how does it work having two gardeners gardening one garden do you have do you each look after your own respective parts of the garden um michael tends to look after the veg garden actually tends to be more of his thing and um i sort of tend to the the flowers and roses actually I shouldn't quite admit that because that's just sort of the way it's kind of turned out just recently is I tend to be the one who goes oh can we try this and can we try that and he'll go how much time do you actually get to spend in the garden when you're not writing what sort of balance can you achieve um probably still not a huge amount actually um and to be honest the garden doesn't take a huge amount because it may just be a few hours uh, a week but it's you know it doesn't need much more than that it's sort of I like um doing the the pots up on the veranda so I'll spend quite a bit of time doing those in the summer and, and you know making those nice ones they're arranged and you know you've just got to keep them watered and stuff so no I don't it's not a very intensively gardened garden it's apart from obviously the veg patch which does you know veg patches always do take mm. a lot of doing don't they so but the rest of it is perennial so it's a bit of pruning and a bit of you know of all of that a tiny bit of feeding if I remember to so <laughs> I'm not the most um yeah I'm, I'm a fairly <laughs> I like things to just sort of get on with it yeah I think you can over fuss a garden almost can't you yeah yeah this is not an over fussed garden <laughs> <laughs> so what is there anything new in the pipeline for you this coming year um new projects new right books? well there is but I no I don't know if I'm gonna no, I can't possibly die. There's the, the germ of a new idea, very much still the germ. But no, for right, then, right now, I'm very much deep into um, almanac work quite hard to sort of think uh, straight about anything else when, when that's going on. So, um, and, and so, th- and that's always, you know, a project is trying to make sure that it's you know it's new and it's fresh and mm. but still familiar and trying to keep that uh that nice balance because people have really taken it to their hearts I feel it's quite a responsibility to you know to get it right and it's got to be different and slightly better I suppose each year which is a challenge so do you actively feel that pressure of trying to make it better than the previous year I sort of do though to be honest so far it's quite it's come quite naturally to um the ideas have come fairly naturally so there's not been ever a point where I've sort of gone oh no what am I going to do with this one always by the time I'm starting one I've got the got it fairly fully formed in my head 
what's going to be different and what's going to be the same. 2021, I was sort of halfway through writing, really, as uh, we came to the, so March, yeah, so uh, it has to be in, in April. So, I was, yeah, nearly, nearly towards the end of it. So everything was kind of <laughs> falling down around me. And it was kind of, and, you know, I don't know if you, it's hard to even remember now. There was that time when you know you suddenly couldn't get hold of food and you didn't know if it was safe to even step outside and it really felt like that you know you couldn't get a slot in a supermarket or anything so the food was running out and I'm just like typing away furiously <laughs> trying to get to the end of this but you know it happened and it, it, um so I don't know how long that'll last I hope that will keep going but uh, there are so many different ways that you could do it and because mm. I think I it came out of my head and I've designed it it can um you know I can sort of do what I want with it within a kind of framework it's my way to to take in whatever direction like you were saying about the garden meditations and taking it slightly more that way into a more spiritual way or not or you know so um I feel I have quite a lot of sort of freedom to to take it that way and so far that has meant that it hasn't yet touch would run out of ideas well I have to say I think the 2021 almanac in particular is just such a a lovely comforting blanket during these difficult times Uh, I've taken a lot of sort of like pleasure immersing myself and I can't (laughs) wait now to get into February because I purposely haven't looked too far ahead very good good. one last (laughs) question I just wanted to ask you before we go conscious time has run away is how do you choose the artists for the almanac there's some beautiful illustrations uh, in the almanac this year that is, they are so gorgeous, aren't they, this year? It's Helen Can who's done these ones. Um, it's always just such a pleasure doing that. So one of the things that we, I and um, the designer, Matt Cox, who I'd worked with before on previous books and asked him to um, to work on these because he's so great. And one of the things we decided very early on is that we would have a different illustrator every year. Mm. And um, that was very deliberately to kind of make it into what I think it has become, which is um, a little bit of a collector's item to make it feel very different each year. So it's, you know, and also to give an artist a kind of an opportunity to make it a little uh, project of their own, like what, you know, to say to an artist, what would you, you know, how would you make an almanac look? What would you, what would be your thing? Now, Helen Can was chosen particularly because she makes these beautiful maps. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was looking for a map maker in particular. So this is the first year that I've had maps in. Um, and because of doing these pilgrimages and the um, migrations, I really wanted to have a beautiful map maker. And so I looked at some of hers and some of the ones that she had done had this kind of almost fairy tale like quality, like they could be in a Tolkien uh you know they could be in the beginning of one of those books really kind of you know mountain ranges and the seas all you know up and so I said to her you know I want you to take these kind of real life migrations and I want you to make them look like they're in a fairy tale and um, I think that's what she's done I mean they're, they're so absolutely much, they? they're really as an artist myself I think the oh, illustrations I mean, yeah uh, are, are just beautiful which is why I wanted to make reference to those as well yeah, Leah, yeah. thank you so much for giving us the time today to talk about the Almanac, your career and the podcast. Wish you all the very best of luck with the podcast and your career going forward this year. Thank you so much indeed for taking the time. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely. 
Well, I hope you enjoyed that chat with Leah. I certainly did. Um, well, it was brilliant just chatting to her about the Almanac, which is obviously still available um, from all good book retailers, both on the high street and online. Next up then, I'm chatting to Otis. It was roughly about three years ago. I was working on a plant nursery. I've been doing garden centres and plant nurseries all my working life. And three years ago I decided I was getting limited and wanted to create and design gardens and maintain them. Um, the research I did was what other people were charging in the area, um, what kind of people services they were providing and um, narrowed down to what I wanted to do and work out what I was going to charge. Then I went on to doing trying to find customers and the first ones were a couple of family friends then they recommend someone. I didn't have to do any advertising myself um, due to just being recommended and that's how my business of 50 clients um, built up. So all of that was from one customer and you went from recommendations. So you've never advertised at any time to get new people? There was two customers, um, one in Ferndown and one in Wimborne and uh, I've had to do no advertising at all. They've all been friends of each other. That's really good. So once you actually got the business started, how did you decide and know what you were going to do in each garden? Did you have chats with them beforehand or did you were you just given free reign to do what you wanted? I went to the first two were more projects at first, so I went and um went and had a like a hour, two hour session to go and walk around with them, telling me what they would like me what they'd like from me and I was saying what I can provide and do and what I can give back to them. And um we went from there and did working on all the project projects really that's what i do every time i take a new client on i always say i'd like to look at the garden first because some people phone up and say can you take the garden on i say well i prefer to see the garden because you've got to feel a connection with it as well so when you go and see a garden what sort of things are you checking before you actually say yes i'll take it on whether the maintenance that they require me to do is what i can do like if it's big hedges or tree work i don't really enjoy doing that so they would need someone else who can do that kind of thing so I look at stuff I can actually do myself or get some help as well. So if there are big hedges or trees that need to be maintained do you sort of coordinate that for the customers or do you just leave that for them to actually organise? In the smaller gardens which have bigger trees and that I recommend someone who I use Um, and in the bigger gardens because they have me as a gardener they tend to have someone who does like the lawns or hedge and tree work anyway so if not i got people i can recommend so roughly how many customers do you think you did you say you've got about 50 customers now i have about 34 like weekly ones um and yeah around 50 like ones that i go to once twice a year kind of thing so i'm sure like me you've probably got some that you maybe do fortnightly or maybe even monthly what happens if it rains? How does that then fit in? Does it sort of throw the rest of your your schedule out? It can do, yes. If the, um, Obviously, we have a really bad rainy week. I can't just say I'll come another day that week. It goes into another week. So I give the customer an option. I can do try and do extra the following time, or when I go the next time, I can try and bring some additional help to catch up on the hours. You can't always say, oh, I'll keep coming next week and next week, because then you end up being there in a month's time anyway. So I'm sure, like me, there are times when you get to a a customer's house and especially this time of year when it's sort of like the bleakest part of winter. What do you do in gardens then? Because you you work most days whenever you possibly can. What are you doing at this time of year in customers' gardens? 
it's more looking at plants that are not doing well so then deciding where to move them in the garden or removing them all together um, thinking about further design projects in the gardens and then there's general things like some borders are not quite big enough making them bigger and stuff like that and repositioning plants so i guess this time of year can be a good time for pruning shrubs and the things that you can actually do yourself is that something you enjoy pruning back shrubs and that type of work yeah no i love doing all that and um everything and it's also now is a good time to start removing some of the fallen debris from herbaceous plants as well so i know when i used to cut shrubs back for clients you you know what you're doing and you cut things back but some clients come out oh look what you've done to my shrub do do you find that clients now have the confidence and trust in you because you do know what you're doing yeah there was a few in the first year that were oh my god oh my god and then the following year they flourish or that season they begin to flourish again yeah, and they so you, you build confidence with your customers so at this time of year roughly what sort of hours are you able to work so obviously sort of like the darker mornings and the darker evenings what are your approximate hours each day at the moment? At the moment, it's still roughly, well, it's between six and eight hours, really. So what time do you start in the morning? What time are you up? I'm up about seven o'clock and I'm at work by eight. Um, but in the summer, it's a lot earlier. So in the summer months then, what are your hours like then? Because obviously you've got daylight for a lot, lot longer. Do you try and make up for some of the hours you lose in the winter? What, what are your summer hours? I tend to start around seven, half seven, and finish around six, half six sometimes. And then when you come home, you've got your own garden to do. Do you sort of like then spend time in your own garden, or do you feel that after a day out gardening for other people, you've had enough? I try to do a little bit each day um, and sit there and have a glass of wine in the garden, really. That sounds very good to me. And look forward to chatting to you in the next podcast. Excellent. Look forward to speaking again. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Scadding. A pleasure, as always, catching up with you to find out what you're getting up to at this time of year in the gardens. Well, thank you so much for listening. And don't forget, my special gardening New Year's resolution podcast is now available. So do pop over there and have a listen. It features some of your gardening New Year's resolutions and also some of those of some gardening celebrities, including Simon Lysett, florist to Her Majesty the Queen, no less, and uh, he's going to be my next guest on the next podcast. So look forward to that. Thank you for listening. Please do subscribe if you haven't done so already, and if you're listening on Apple Podcast, do leave me a review. See you next time, everybody. Bye.